Wow, we could go home already. It's been such a good morning. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So how many of you are glad that you are in a Spirit-filled church? <laughs> Hungry for a Spirit-filled church. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord, for that. Well, let's stand... And I'll wait till you get up. <laughs> we are going to do something unusual. Because if the vast majority of people seeking a spiritual church, they're seeking the power of God. And you see, the power of God is not the power that the world thinks about. For example, God's ways are kind of different. Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Right. Did he say that? Yeah. When, and God says, if you'll humble yourself, I'll exalt you. Yeah. It's kind of all opposite, isn't it? Right. And so the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said we would receive on the day of Pentecost is not really what the carnal mind envisages. Right. So what we're going to do is we're going to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit together right now. Amen. Let's lift our hands and let's pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on. The power of God demonstrated by the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Father, Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. We are now your temples. Holy Spirit anointing that was on Jesus is upon us right now and in us. Holy Spirit that moved across the face of the deep and created the heavens and the earth. You're in us and you're right here right now to do the work of the Father and the work of Jesus. To lift us up, to bring to pass the will of God in our life. I pray for an anointing upon every ear to hear. I pray for an anointing upon every word that I speak today. I pray, Lord, that those watching online will receive this anointing, will be delivered, will be healed. And those in the presence right here, Lord, will sense that anointing breaking the yoke. And each and every one of us will walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, turn and tell somebody, I'm not ashamed. And you may be seated in heavenly places. <laughs> Praise God forevermore. Praise God. Well, we're on a spiritual journey. For those uh, who haven't been with us for the last uh, four weeks, you might remember we started off with um, forgiving people for their offenses. And it was a very, you know, you know, deep thing that we had to go through when we had to consider how other people had offended us, and we had to release them and forgive them. And then we went on to start uh, talking about um, repentance. Repentance. Repentance from our sin after we forgive others for their sin, we spoke about repentance. And repentance comes from a heart that understands that we've sinned, we've missed God. And uh, then we spoke about turning to God. Repentance turning to God, or turning to Jesus. And then finally we spoke about forgiveness, forgiveness from our sins. And I want to remind you that the foundation of Christianity is this. Repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's repent, turn to God, or repent, turn to Jesus. Jesus said that this would be preached throughout all nations before the end comes. So the disciples preached this after Jesus' resurrection. They preached, repent, and be baptized. Look at Acts. I have a scripture for you real quick. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. And it says, 
Repent, then turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out. Notice, your sins can't be wiped out until you've repented and turned to God. So you cannot preach forgiveness until there's repentance. (coughs) Unfortunately, what's happening today in the postmodern church is that forgiveness is being preached as the gift of God rather than repentance. In other words, just come along, pray a prayer, ask God to forgive you. And people are doing that. The problem with that is that people are feeling better thinking God has forgiven them, but in actual fact, there's been no turn in their life. They haven't turned to God. They haven't repented. See, there's been no acknowledgement, no realization of the gravity of their sin. You cannot repent until you realize the gravity of your sin. Yeah? And this is the reason I am always so thankful to God, so grateful, is because I know what I was forgiven from and how that changed my life. So repentance is very, very important. You can't preach forgiveness without first requiring repentance. I have something for you to write down in your notes. If you write this down, grace doesn't nullify the need to repent. It provides the mercy for forgiveness if you do it. Three words that are missing on there that you can add in. So listen carefully. Keep that up there. There is a thought in the teaching that if I sin, I don't have to worry about repenting from it because it's already been taken care of at the cross. The problem with that is that what took place at the cross has to be appropriated into your life. Unless you appropriate it, you remain in your sin. And sin cannot enter the presence of God, the Bible says so. Cannot. So grace has been provided... Not to nullify the need to repent. You say, well, I don't need to repent because we're under grace. No, 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 no. Because grace provides for you the mercy. It provides the mercy for forgiveness. If you do it. Grace does not work on its own in a vacuum. You have to appropriate grace by faith. Now, the question is, why would the Holy Spirit be emphasizing this right now? Why would He be preaching repent and forgiveness? What is His end goal? What is His plan? What is He wanting to achieve? I'm going to give you one word. The word is salvation. And that's the title of my sermon today. We're talking about the pathway to salvation. Now, you might be sitting here and say, Pastor Henry... I'm saved. Then perhaps you should listen to this so you can apply it to somebody else. Perhaps somebody listening today online is not saved. Perhaps somebody sitting in this auditorium today in the congregation is not saved. Maybe they don't even know what saved means. Maybe they don't understand what it means. And you know what? There's a possibility that you don't understand either. So listen up. If it's not for you, it's for somebody. Amen? And if it's just for one person, that's okay too. But I know the Holy Spirit gave it to me. We're on this, we're on this spiritual journey, and we're laying a foundation for every single person to be able to be saved and to know that they're saved. So forgiveness is predicated on two things. Firstly, repentance. Repent. Number two, turn to God. See, people can repent and they can come along and say, I'm sorry for my sin. Well, sorrow for sin is not repentance. It's insufficient. It's insufficient. There's more to it than just being sorry. Many people are sorry when they get caught. That doesn't necessarily mean they change their ways. So repentance entails changing your ways. There is a complete turnaround in your life. So forgiveness 
is dependent upon forgiveness, is depending on repenting and turning to God or turning to Jesus. I want you to write this down in your notes, please. True repentance is a change of mind and heart that results in changed behavior. Now, I know that some people can change their behavior without being saved, without being born again, without repentance. Okay? You could. You could make an effort and you could make some good changes. All right? And that's, that's true. But, so, changed behavior on its own is insufficient. But we will recognize whether there's been a change in the heart and mind. We'll recognize that quite quickly. Because it will come out. It will come out. What's in the heart will come out the mouth. But we're looking at change in the heart and in the mind that does result or produces changed behavior. So I would go this far to say that if there's no transformation, if there's no outward change in behavior, if there's no thankfulness and gratitude in your heart, for God forgiving your sin, if there's no change so that you turn to God in gratitude and faithfulness and to begin to serve Him out of that heart of gratitude, then I dare to say that there was probably no repentance. That repentance hasn't taken place. You might claim, yeah, I'm a Christian, but if there's no changed behavior then you're a nominal Christian, you're a Christian by name, you're a denominational Christian, and you think you have a ticket to heaven. Now, I'm preaching better than you saying amen. But I'm going to light a fire under your feet. I do want you to understand what I'm saying today. Repentance is a gift from God. Repentance is a gift from God. So write this down. Grace provides the gift of repentance so that mercy can prevent you from getting what you deserve. Judgment. You see, grace gives you what you don't deserve. Salvation. So let me read that again. Grace provides the gift of repentance so that mercy can prevent you from getting what you deserve. Judgment is what we deserve. It's mercy that prevents us from being judged. God is merciful, therefore He doesn't judge. In this sense, what I'm talking about here. I'm going to show you some characteristics of God where He does judge. But mercy is the one that lets you off the hook. It's God's mercy. But grace provided repentance so that mercy can work. The repentance is the gift. Grace gives the gift so that mercy of God can work and we don't get judged. Are you with me now? All right. So, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Not wanting anyone to perish. So his will is clear. But everyone to come to repentance. Say everyone. everyone. So the will of God is clear. It's written in scripture. That the will of God is that everyone come to repentance. And that God doesn't want anyone to perish. That's his will. However... People are perishing. Yep. People are perishing. They're not repenting. They're not serving God. The question is why? If it is the will of God that everybody come to repentance, if it's the will of God that nobody perish, why are they perishing? How come God's will is not working in their life? See, yeah, I hear people pray all the time. Well, if it be thy will, God. You see, I hear people all the time, well, you know, if it was God's will to do that, then it would have happened. And that's not true. The most fundamental thing is that God wants all people to repent, to miss the judgment of hell and go to heaven. But He's not going to force anybody. 
The question is, why are they not repenting? I'll give you one word. Pride. It's pride. Why? Because you see, pride says, I can fix my life on my own. I don't need a crutch. I don't need a church. I don't need Jesus as a crutch. I don't need Christianity as a crutch. I can get through this on my own. Thank you. If you are that weak that you need a crutch, fine. But I don't need a crutch. This is what pride says. Pride is self-dependent. Pride is not looking to God for help. Hmm? Let me tell you what that looks like to me. It looks like a drowning man trying to pull himself out of the water by his hair. That's the pride and the arrogance of I can fix my life by myself. I don't need God. You're drowning, sweetheart. You're drowning. And you're trying to pull yourself out of the water by your hair. Stupid should be painful. So here's the problem. Here's the problem, okay? First of all, man chose to sin. Let's go back to the beginning. Man chose to sin. In Romans 3.23, it said, For all have sinned. Everybody say all. All. Or all. Oh, that's, that's, that's like a bad apple in my mouth. All. All have sinned. All have sinned, okay? All have sinned and come short or fall short of the glory of God. Everybody has. So every person... Every person falls short of the glory and expectation of God until they receive Jesus. Until they receive Jesus. So, how does, that, how does that work? All of man's efforts to obtain righteousness or to obtain right standing with God are useless and hopeless. You know, Mike Powell holds the world's longest long jump record. I don't know if you know that. He's jumped 29 feet 4 and a quarter inches. That's a long way. But you know, that long jump is not long enough to, cover the, to, to get over the chasm between God and man. doesn't matter how far you jump. If you're six inches short, you're going down. You, don't, you didn't make it over. You know that uh, Mondo Duplantis is the, holds the world record for the highest pole vault. And he's jumped 20 feet, 3.3 inches. That's a long way up. Long way up. But no matter how high he's jumped, you can't reach God's requirements. No matter how good you are, how high you can jump, you can't reach God's requirements. You know, the fastest man ever, the greatest sprinter, and I was actually present at the Olympic Games in Atlanta in 1996, and I watched Hussein Bolt win both the 100 meters and the 200 meters in his golden shoes and get the world record and the, the Olympic record. I was there. Such an amazing event. But it doesn't matter how fast you run, you can't reach God with your speed. Man's ability doesn't work. In fact, Jeff Bezos tried it this week, went up 250,000 miles to the edge of space, and still didn't reach God's requirements. Uh-huh. You know, the greatest people that you know, the most righteous, holy people you know, Mother Teresa and Sister Padma, and I'll throw them in the same boat, both were imperfect and needed to repent. So it doesn't matter how good you are or how good you think you are, you can't reach God's requirements. No person without Christ will reach God's glory, obtain His expectations. That is why the Bible said we are to repent. Now, the problem is man is all sinned, and that problem gets worse. The wages of sin is death. In Romans 6 and 23, man chose to sin. And it says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. In, everybody say in, in. Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. God is making a way. See, here's God's character. This is what I want to show you. God's character. God is just. God is just. According to Exodus 34 and 7, it says, Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty. So, God is merciful, and He is willing to forgive the iniquity. He is willing to forgive transgressions. He is willing to forgive sin. 
but he will not clear the guilty. Well, you know, that sounds like an oxymoron. It sounds like a paradox, like a contradiction. If you want to know what a paradox is, it's like if a person's walking their dog on that side and somebody else is walking their dog on this side of the street, it's a paradox. Okay? Oh. <laughs> woof, woof, woof. It sounds like a contradiction. Okay, won't use it again. I, I, I receive feedback. I, 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 I'm good on the feedback. But this is a contradiction. He forgives sin, forgives transgression, but he won't pardon the guilty. But surely if you sin, then you're guilty. Well, here's the thing. Because he is just, he has to punish the guilty. Otherwise, he's not just. If someone comes into his court and they haven't sinned under the blood of Jesus, they're not guilty. But if the other person has, he has to punish the guilty. But you see, God loves his creation. And because he loves his creation, he sought a way so that he didn't have to punish us for our sin. This is what he did. He loves humanity. And Romans 5 and verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's part in our salvation is that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is what he did. He took our sin and was punished, the innocent for the guilty. He was not guilty, but he was punished. So somebody was punished. Somebody. Do you understand? God is willing to forgive the sin, the transgressions, and iniquity. But he has to punish the guilty. So what he did was he punished the guilty by, by punishing Christ, by punishing Jesus in our place. And if we would accept that sacrifice, the sacrifice that Jesus made, if we accept that, then we won't have to be punished. Because he was punished. God can't punish two people for the same crime. I'm assuming the lights are going to come back on any minute. No? Having to, all right, everybody lift your hands. Everybody lift your hands. All right, let's wait for a minute because many hands make the light work. No? Okay, then. What am I tell you? Prophet and I don't know it. Flowing in a gift. Okay. So, if we accept Jesus' sacrifice, then we will not be punished. But if we do not accept his sacrifice, we must be punished. Because God has to punish the guilty. You can't escape that. All right? So now, what is our part in salvation? What is man's part? We know what God's part is. What is man's part in salvation? Number one, we have to acknowledge our sin. And these are familiar Things you understand, we have to acknowledge our sin. We've already dealt with this. This is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we have to acknowledge that we're sinners. We have to acknowledge that we're sinners. Number two, we have to repent and turn to God to avoid judgment. If we do not repent and turn to God, there will be judgment. I've got a bunch of scriptures here. Let's look at Acts 2.38. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we repent and be baptized. That's why August the 8th, if you haven't been baptized, you're going to get baptized. And we believe God is going to do an amazing work in your life. In Acts 3 and verse 19, it says, repent and turn to God that your sins might be wiped out. Notice again, this is New Testament teaching, book of Acts, repent. Turn to God that your sins might be wiped out. So it is not possible to have sins wiped out until you've repented and turned to God. Does that make sense? That's in Scripture because that's the order. That's the divine order of obtaining forgiveness. So many people will fall on their face after they've done something horrendous and fall on their face and say, Oh, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. And he's saying, that's not repentance. You're asking for forgiveness. You're asking for the third part of this journey. But you haven't done the first or the second. You haven't repented, and you haven't turned your life over to God. All you're doing is you're sorry about what you committed. You're sorry about what you've done. So you're just asking for forgiveness. 
you want to feel better. But God is saying, I can't forgive you. You haven't repented and you haven't turned to me. You're there, you've gone home. All right, everybody keep your hands in your pockets. Light's getting too bright here. All right. So, you know, we will only turn to God. We will only turn to God when we realize that we're on the wrong path. It's like a GPS. You drive along and it says, make the next turn, make the next safe turn. Go back, you've missed the turn. Go back, you missed the turn. And I say, this is not the route I want to use. Be quiet, I'm going another way. <laughs> How many of you ever override your GPS? Uh-huh, yeah. Well, you can't override the Holy Ghost and you can't override the Word of God. If you're on the wrong road, you have to repent, you have to turn around. Acts 17.30 says, Truly these signs of ignorance, sorry, these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, we're saying now, the Bible hasn't changed. This is present tense. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. All men everywhere to repent. That would include women. You are required. God now requires. It's now a requirement in the church age after the resurrection of Jesus. It is a requirement. God is not asking you nicely. The word command is not, like, if you feel like it, you know. Yeah, it's one of the ten suggestions. If you like, feel like, you know, add this to the group. Make it 11 suggestions. He's saying what? A command. I'm commanding you to repent. See, people, if, if you're ministering to somebody who's not a Christian, and you say to them, well, are you a believer? And they go, yeah. And, and I'm playing golf with this person. And the next thing that comes out of their mouth is a curse word and blasphemy. Okay? And they're holding the, the beers while they're cursing and blaspheming. And the person with me says, no, no, we're, we're Christians. We're the same church. I'm going, you need to come to a church that's based on power. You need to come to a church that's spirit-filled. You need to come to a church that preaches the word. Because it's hot where you're going, people. You think 94 is hot playing golf. It's nothing compared to where you're going. Yeah, I'm a believer. Somebody telling you I'm a believer doesn't hold any water with me. In future, I'm going to ask people, have you repented of your sin and turned to God? Why would you be asking that? Well, I'm trying to find out if you're saved. Yeah, let's find out if you really are saved. Let's, let's find out. Okay. All right, so he commands them to repent everywhere because, this is the reason, because, everybody say because. because, this is the reason he says, I'm commanding you to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. You know, I, I, as a pastor, it, it grieves me, it grieves me, I mean, I, there's no other, no other way I can say it, but one, one of the spouses will come to church. One of the spouses, and I'm not talking to anybody here, so please, I'm not calling anybody's name. So get mad and don't get up and walk out now because we'll know that you're thinking it's you. Okay? So just grip your seat, white knuckle it, that's fine. Okay? Just keep looking straight ahead. Okay. But one of the spouses will come to God, get saved, and serve the Lord, but will be too afraid to tell the other spouse that they need to repent, turn to God, come to Jesus. Because they don't want to cause problems in their home. Because why? I can't live with a spouse if there's issues. What will that spouse do on Judgment Day if you loved them so much that you couldn't tell them the truth? And I hope somebody's listening to me. I hope you're listening to me. See, my job is to tell you the truth. Your job is to eat it or spit it out. But th th this is the truth. If you love somebody enough, you will tell them the truth. Hence, I'm telling you the truth. There's a judgment day coming. There's a judgment day coming. He will judge the word in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. By raising Jesus, this is, this is the assurance. In Romans 
14.10. We shall all stand. Everybody say all stand. Before the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody. Everybody is going to stand there. Not just Christians. Everybody. For it is written, as I have said, as, as I uh, live, as I live, says the Lord, every knee, say every knee, every. shall bow to me, and every tongue, say every tongue. Every. People, is there any doubt that all will stand, every knee will be there, and every tongue? Everybody. Nobody's left out of this. And what will they do? They will confess to God. And so then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Every single person on the face of this earth who has ever lived and who will be alive at that time and taken up to be in the judgment will give an account. Every single person would have heard the gospel message. Every single person will have to give an account of what they did with Jesus. And why they rejected him, why they did not accept him, why they did not repent, and why they believed that they were okay. They could do it on their own. They will have to give an account for their sin. Are you listening to me? That's why God says repent. So number three, we were said acknowledge your sin. Number two, repent. Number three, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. John 3 and verse 36. It's in that famous chapter, John 3, 16. The same chapter, famous chapter. It said, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. People, you can't get more clear than that. That is the entire gospel message in one verse. If you believe on the Son, if you believe on Jesus, you have everlasting life. You have it right now. You're not going to get it when you die. You have it right now. And you either know that you have everlasting life or you don't. Those who believe on the Lord Jesus have received Him as Lord and Savior. They have everlasting life. They have eternal life right now. But those who do not, watch this now, those who do not have the Son do not have everlasting life. What remains on them? Just watch this. Watch this carefully. But the wrath of God abides on them. It doesn't say the wrath of God is going to come on them. Uh, just watch this. this. And this might be a little old English. But it says, but the wrath of God abides. That means the wrath of God is upon them now. While people are not sharing the gospel with other people, the wrath of God is already on those people. It's already on. The wrath of God was on the whole world before Jesus came. Then the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. Then those who receive that forgiveness through Christ, the wrath of God is lifted off them and they receive eternal life. The rest remain under that cloud of God's wrath and will go straight to judgment. People, you need to understand this. This is very, very important. Uh, you know, I'll stand my chances when I get there. I tell them what a good guy I've been. No, no, no. And since every knee will bow, you'll be groveling in the dirt, sir. You won't be up there speaking about your speaking your mouth off. Okay. So, watch this. If you believe on the Son, you have everlasting life. It's like this. I mean, it's like this. If you get the water, you get the wet. If you get the sun, you get the life. If you get the S-U-N, sun, you get the light. If you get the Son of God, you get the life. If you get the water, you get the wet. If you don't get the sun, you don't get the life. They go together. Now, Acts 20 verse 21 says, I have declared to both, this is Paul, his last statement to the Ephesians, he says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. How many times are we going to see this in the Bible before we believe it's true? Repent, turn to God, and have faith in Jesus. Now, this faith in Jesus is not talking about head faith or head knowledge. What do I mean by that? 
Well, people say, well, I believe, I, you know, I believe in God. Well, so do the demons. So does the devil. The Bible says in James 2.19 that the devil believes that there's one God. He says, you believe there's one God? Well, great. So does the demons, but they tremble. And the funny thing is about those people who deny the existence of God, they don't tremble. They're not even afraid. But the Bible says demons are afraid. Now, when I say this is not head knowledge, it's not head knowledge, what do I mean by that? Well, let me explain very quickly what true faith would mean in Jesus. It's getting on the plane. Let me explain. It's not when you make the reservation for your flight. It's not, true faith is not when you pay for it. True faith is not arriving at the airport and checking in your luggage, your baggage. Maybe that is. True faith is not when you check yourself in. True faith is not when you walk to the gate. True faith is when you board the plane and you sit down and you trust your life to somebody else. See, true faith as a Christian is not coming to church. We have millions of people who go to church and they're not Christian. They're not born again. True faith is not singing the songs. True faith is getting out of your chair, walking to the front, repenting and acknowledging of your sin and repenting, giving your life to Jesus and asking God to forgive you and trusting somebody else with your life. That's true faith. You see, true faith is when you tithe and you trust God with your money. Until you're tithing, you're not trusting God. You're not operating in true faith. Hello. Yep. Well, I can see there's three people tithing. That's awesome. <laughs> Give me a good amen. I receive. I'll take the amens. All right. Acts 16, just pulling your leg. Acts 16, 31. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your husband. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So point number four, my last point in closing. Point number four is... Number one, acknowledge Jesus. Remember, sorry, acknowledge you're a sinner. Repent and turn to God. Number three, believe on Jesus. Number four, the point is, receive Jesus as your Lord. According to uh, Romans 10 verse 9, it says, And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, the point of this whole message is to get you to salvation. The point of the Holy Spirit, the teaching for the Holy Spirit, is get you to a place where you are sure, 100%, that you are saved, that you have eternal life, heaven is your home, Jesus is your Lord, the Word of God is your foundation. That's the point. And you could share this with somebody else to make sure that they too know this for a fact. So, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, receiving Jesus as your Lord is an act of saying that you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. That's what it is. It's an act. Okay? So in order to activate faith for salvation, we have to do this. We have to say with our mouth that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and we have to believe that in our heart. That is the end, okay? Don't be saying that before you've acknowledged you're a sinner, repented, asked God to forgive you, now you confess Jesus as Lord. There's no shortcuts to heaven. And we need to do it correctly. Just by saying, well, Jesus is my Lord, I can guarantee you He won't be your Lord if you haven't repented. Because there's been no change in your life. And you just say, well, He's my Lord. I can prove that. Don't say to me, Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say. Hmm? Didn't He say that? He said that. Depart from me, you who what? Work in iniquities, I never knew you. I never knew you. So, repentance then is not a thought. It's an action. You can't think I'm sorry and think it is sufficient. 
I can't think, yeah, well, you know, yeah, Jesus, you're my Lord. That's fine. You just sit in the congregation and say, yeah, okay, I, I got it. Jesus is my Lord. Okay, and I'm sorry. That's not enough. It's not enough. There would be no earth, no heavens, no, no creation had God just thought. It'd be nice to have a planet and people and everything. It'd be nice. Mm, mm, that would be nice. What do you think, Jesus? Mm, yep. They don't have to say anything. They can take, right? They won. They can talk. Yeah? There would be nothing. But God said. And God said. And God said. And it was. And God said. And it was. And God said and the Holy Spirit moved. When you say, the Holy Spirit will move. See, repentance is from a contrite and broken-hearted confession of sin. It's when you realize the gravity of your sin to the point that it drives you to your knees. The test me this morning was amazing. Without notes. It was amazing because she got down on her face before God. An act of absolute contrite heart repentance. Knowing the solution is from God. And she heard the prayers and she received the prayers. See, Tristan, thank you for sharing that. Because that's what I'm talking about. That's the contrite heart. Too often, at the end of a service, we have a quick altar call, one, two, three, anybody wants to connect up, and there we go. And that's not repentance. See, repentance is an outward demonstration of an inward commitment that you've turned your life over to God. Let me give the four one more time. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Repent and turn to God to avoid judgment. Believe in Jesus. Put all your weight on Jesus. And then receive Jesus as your Lord. According to Acts chapter, uh, Romans chapter 10. Receive Jesus as your Lord. And you will be saved. Amen. Amen? Amen. Alright. I closed. Thank you Holy Spirit for speaking to our hearts. For making it clear that not a person who heard me this morning or they will hear me in the future, will misunderstand what's necessary to be saved, to go to heaven, to be born again, to become a child of God. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your faithfulness to continuously preach to your body that they may know what they believe. And Lord, that they might be able to share the truth with their loved ones, their friends, their spouses, their children, their uncles, their aunts, their brothers, their sisters. Oh God, I pray that not one of us would lose a relative or a friend because we were too afraid to tell them the truth in love. Lord, while we're here this morning, my heart goes out to any person in this room that has yet to repent. Turn their life over to you. Ask for forgiveness and receive you as Lord. So before I dismiss you while every eye is closed, is there anybody here this morning who would like to go through what I shared this morning? Wherever you are, if in your heart you know that you need to turn your life over to God, that you need to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you. If you'd like us to pray with you this morning, wherever you are, if you just raise your hand, that will be the beginning. That will be the start. Raise your hand. If you don't have a conviction in your heart of sin, then it's not for you. But if you have a conviction in your heart, than it is for you. We'll have everybody stand. Stay in prayer. Stay in prayer. If you would like to receive the Holy Spirit this morning, wherever you are, just keep your eyes closed. Just wave at me. I want the power, Pastor Henry, that is in this church, 
the Holy Spirit that's been poured out. I've come seeking. I want a spirit-filled church. I want a spirit-filled life. I want a spirit-filled life. If that's you, raise your hand. That's you. Raise your hand. Thank you so much. Now, while no one's looking around, those who've raised your hand either for salvation or to receive the Holy Spirit, this is your moment. This is your moment. Come and receive. Step out of your seat. Come and receive. God is going to meet you down the front. He's now waiting for you. He's now waiting for you. Come and receive. Just come down. Stand right with me. Thank you for coming down. Stand right here with me. God is going to meet you. You can stand right on the there. That's perfect. Come stand right down there. Put your toes against the front. That's fine. Anybody else? You raise your hand. You want to receive the Holy Spirit or you're turning your life over to Jesus. Now, is there somebody here this morning and you need prayer because there's sickness devastating your body? Wave your hand at me if that's you. I want to pray for you. Come and stand down on my right-hand side. There's space over here. You come stand over here on my right-hand side. All right. Come stand down here on my right-hand side. All right. Now stay with us. Keep your faith locked in. Keep your faith locked in. Don't let go right now, okay? We want to pray for these precious people. All right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hmm? Okay. All right. Pray this little prayer with me. Pray this little prayer with me. Father, I repent of my sin. I acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. I have given my life to Him. And I promise to serve you, Lord, with all of my heart. And right now I ask you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I believe I receive right now in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Okay, Cindy, take over there. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just take a deep breath. Fill it up. Receive the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And as you breathe out, begin to pray with me. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Pray in again. Another, take another deep breath and begin to pray. Just lift your hands in sign of re- Yep, go ahead. Pray, pray. Give me the mic. That's right. There you go. There you go. That's it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Keep praying. Keep praying. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Go ahead, pray in the Spirit. Join Him. Join Him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's right. Just keep on praying. Right out of your belly is flowing rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. Thank you, Lord. Just lift your hands. You're going to receive your healing. You're going to receive your healing in the name of Jesus. The power. Mm, say on a moment. Thank you, Lord. Just pray. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. The power of the Holy Spirit is coming upon you. That's the power of God that brings about the healing and the cure. Right now in Jesus' name. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 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 What are you believing for? Anxiety? Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We break the power of addiction. We break the power of anxiety that's gripped your life in the name of Jesus. And we loose you right now. We set you free. In Jesus' name, be free. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Healing. Thank you, Lord. 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Believe it. Believe it. You've been a strong Christian for many, many years, for decades. Believe the word. 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 The word is working in you. Believe the word. It's working in you. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. All right. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What are you believing for? What's something in your eye? What is it? Okay. Lord, we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we thank you for complete healing of our eyes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All eye strain is healed in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 The joy of the Lord. Joy of the Lord all over. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Thank you. House of power. Amen. You want something powerful to happen? The promise is the place. Promise is the place. Amen. Amen. Well, next Sunday, we say goodbye to the Kellys. It's the last Sunday that they'll be with us before they move out of town and pursue the next phase in their life and ministry. And we want you to come and enjoy the service together with us. We'll be praying over them. We have a little gift for them. And we'll have a little line that you can form to come and have an individual chat with them. And they'll be uh, able to talk with you and say goodbyes, okay? So plan to be with us. It is a sad day, but we want them to leave knowing that we love them and always will. Amen. So plan to be with us next Sunday. And also, as you know, we have Dr. Marilyn Neubauer preaching, and it's going to be phenomenal. So bring the sick. Pastor Jackie is coming for that service. She wants to be here with, with uh, Marilyn Neubauer, and she wants to be here to say goodbye to the Kellys. Have a great week. We'll see you on Wednesday night at P3. Come expecting power in Jesus' name. <laughs>